First Corinthians chapter number six, and um, we're going to begin reading in verse number sixteen. First Corinthians chapter six, and verse number sixteen. Paul writes, "What know ye not that uh, he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined." Uh, to another, uh, to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Father, we pray once again that you will help us this afternoon as we come to your word and find some instruction from it to help us in this area of glorifying you in our bodies. And, Father, may we learn to uh, do all that we can to live a holy life and a pleasing life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible teaches us here that we are supposed to glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits. And he begins with this uh, phrase, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God and you are not your own. We spoke on that last hour of being uh, in the temple of the Lord Jesus. And the, that there are some things that come with that. One of them being, we need to recognize that we are His temple. And because of that, uh, that temple should be pure. It should be holy and without spot. It should be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, to bringing glory to Him and showing His glory to the world. It should also uh, motivate us to serve and to labor and for us to keep in mind that we are accountable to God for that labor. All of these things we spoke about, and then as we got to the end of the message we dealt with in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, the fact that God has delivered us from the bondage of sin. Uh, It doesn't mean that sin doesn't still tempt us or that we don't go through temptations. We still do. But we no longer let sin reign in our mortal bodies. He's made a way of an escape. And he tells us in verse 16 of chapter 6, he says, What know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Then he makes this statement in verse 18, Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And the idea here, uh, he's speaking specifically of the sin of fornication, uh, but the idea here is that we, are, we need to flee these things. And so I want to, when we dealt with this last hour about being delivered from the bondage of sin, the fact that sin no more reigns over us, and that God has made a way of escape every time that we are tempted. Every, every time that we are tempted, by the way. I know so many times we excuse our falling into sin as uh, it wasn't my fault. But the truth is, we choose willingly to do this. And, um, and so we, we taught on these things, and I want to try to give you nine different things from Scripture, uh, how we avoid sin. All right? This, this may help us. We all know that we're to avoid sin. Are there some practical helps we can give you from Scripture about how to avoid sin? If God expects us to be a temple and to be pure and clean, if He's delivered us from the bondage of sin and not letting sin reign over us, and has made a way of escape, then are there some things that He's given to us in Scripture that will help us in those times of temptation to avoid the sin and to do that which is right? Uh, Let's look at several passages. Keep your Bible handy. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you will, to start. 
1 Corinthians chapter number 15. We're going to look at several verses on this particular point. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And uh, let's go to verse number 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 33. Paul writes this, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And he speaks here of the corrupting effect of being around the wrong type of people, the wrong type of environments, the wrong type of atmospheres, and the impact that that has on us. Uh, There is an importance that the Bible teaches on regarding a Christian coming out from among the world and being separate and touching not the what? Anybody remember? The unclean thing. And we're living in a world where uh, we'll, we'll quote that verse, but we really don't give a whole lot of heed to the fact that we're not to touch the unclean thing. Uh, that we get around circumstances that are ungodly and wicked, and we expect that we're strong enough to withstand that influence. But the Bible teaches, and Paul speaks of it quite often, uh, that, that there is, even in the most ardent and the most steadfast Christian, there are those tendencies to be influenced by evil communications, evil friends. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 16. Let's look at another passage where he deals with this. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 17. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 17. Paul writes this, he says, Now I beseech you, and again, uh, keep in mind that every time we come to this word beseech, I think we just have it in our minds that Paul is asking of a favor. But the word beseech means with strong passion, with strong emotion. It's almost the idea of pleading or begging uh, or putting to a reason, uh, putting a, a reason to the people that he's saying, I want you to do this and here's why I want you to do it. Um, in chapter 12 of Romans, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, and then he uses this phrase, by the mercies of God. In other words, because God has shown you mercy, I'm pleading with you for that reason. And so he, usually the word beseech ties to a strong emotion or strong foundation as to why he's asking this. And he tells them here in verse number 17, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and what? Avoid them. Why would he say that? Why would he say to avoid them? Why would he not say, get, get around them, try to be a help to them? Well, we are to be a help to them. But what he's dealing with here is the fact that we don't join in with their, with their, uh, their, their rebellion and their division, their strife that they're causing. And we're to be cautious, we're to be careful who we associate with. Uh, the people that we hang around. And we find several places in Scripture where God teaches us these things. Let's look again in Ephesians chapter number 5. And I'm just giving you three of many verses that would deal with this very topic. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look in verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 11. In verse 11 he says, "...and have no what fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness..." but rather reprove them. And so we get this idea, uh, evil communication corrupts good manners. We're not to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Uh, The idea that if there are those that are causing strife and division, that we are to avoid them, 
we find that over and over and over in Scripture, the Bible emphasizes the importance of God's people being careful and being particular about the people that they hang around, the influence that those people will have on their lives. And I would encourage us in this, and I believe Paul very strongly teaches this through many of his letters, is that we need to be edifying one to another. That we need to find those that are living godly lives themselves and make them our fellowship and make them our friends. Those are the ones we want to, to hang around. Those are the ones we want to talk to. I, I, I think it's a wonderful thing when God's people get together and they begin to talk about uh, something that God has shown them recently in Scripture. Let me share with you what God gave me this week. Is usually how it's worded or something along those lines. Uh, or I was reading in my Bible yesterday. Let me show you this. This is very neat. Uh, can I tell you, those are the types of influences we should have. And yet over and over and over again, we find Paul warns against the fellowship, uh, the companionship, the association with those that would be corrupting of our character and our, our influence for the Lord. So how do we avoid sin? We need to be careful of the company that we keep. We need to be careful with the company that we keep. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't go into the world and try to reach them with the gospel. But they're not the company that we keep. We're not best friends with them. We're not, we're not going to the same place as they're going and doing the same things they're doing. We find people that are godly. People that will uplift us. People that will draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. People that will help inspire more holiness in our lives. And we should, as God's people, we should be very careful and very cautious of this. It is a lesson that is taught repetitively throughout the New Testament. And again, we could give you many more scriptures. For sake of time, I've got nine other points or eight other points here. Uh, you can find your other verses. There are plenty of them to find with regards to the importance of being careful of the company we keep. Secondly, let's turn to Proverbs chapter number four. Proverbs chapter number four. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 23. Solomon writes this. He says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the what? The issues of life. Can I tell you this? That as the heart goes, so goes our actions. The issues of life flow out of the purposing of our hearts, the things that entice our hearts. And so Solomon writes, keep your heart. What does the word keep here mean? What's he referring to? How do we keep a heart? Does that mean I'm just not going to let anybody else have it? I'm going to hold it to myself? No, the, the, the connotation here is that, that we put a guard around it, that we're watchful of it, that we're careful of it, that we tend to it, that we nurture it. In, in a particular way that would cause it to be Christ-honoring. And a lot of times, we are careless, are we not, with our hearts? And I'm not talking about the, the blood-pumping muscle in our chest. I'm talking here about the affections, the desires of, of the life that we have in this life. The things that are, that are uh, enticing to us, the things that, that we long for, the things that, that uh, derive emotion in our lives. That we need to be conscious of this heart and, and be be careful of it, to be guarded of it, to keep it and to tend it and to nurture it in ways that is going to help us have holy and right thoughts. 
Turn with me also to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Again, along the same point. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And let's look in verse number 27. And Paul, Paul I think, is, uses the best words, I believe, that can explain what it means to keep your heart. He says this in verse number 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What does he mean to keep under his body and to bring his body into subjection? Does that mean that the body has a tendency to do its own thing? Does that mean that the, the body has its own appetites, its own desires, its own, let's put it this way, its own will? And Paul is saying, I want to make sure I bring it into subjection. What's he doing? He's keeping his heart. He's saying, the things that this flesh wants, I make sure that I rein it in, that I tend to it, I guard it. I am a child of God. I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to make sure that this body is kept reined in, and I am going to keep my body. By the way, don't, don't decide to keep your body under subjection when the, when the temptation comes. Decide to do it long before the temptation ever happens. Determine in your heart before time. So that when the temptation comes, the decision doesn't need to be made. Have you ever noticed that the times that we make the wrong choice and the wrong decision is when we wait until the temptation is there to decide? If we decide before the temptation is there, we have the right heart because the Holy Spirit's not having to fight and struggle with our flesh at that time. And we're more yielded to the Holy Spirit during that time. We're more apt to make the right choice if we do so before the temptation comes. So let's purpose in our hearts. I'm going to keep my body under subjection. Those things that I know the flesh is going to long for and desire, I'm going to purpose in my heart. I'm going to keep it under subjection. I'm going to give, I'm going to give effort to it. I'm going to give diligence to it. I find that oftentimes in our life, even though we know this verse and we've, we've read these passages, we don't practice them. We don't practice them. Paul certainly knows that he can't do anything without the power of the, uh, of the Lord and, and the, that Christ is his strength in the Christian life. But he also knows that Paul himself has to, has to purpose in his own mind. He's got to, he's got to wrestle his flesh. He's got, to, he's got to bring that body, those desires, into captivity. Now, he can do it with the Lord's help, and that's the only way we can do it too and be victorious in it. But we've got to put forth the effort. We've got to have the conscious mindset that I'm going to bring this into subjection. And so, first of all, we need to keep good company. Secondly, we need to learn to keep our heart with all diligence. With all diligence. To put forth that effort. To purpose in our hearts. To, to, to make that, that uh, an uncompromising decision of our life. I love, I love in the book of Daniel when... Uh, he was tempted to do some things uh, that were contrary to the law of his God. The Bible, the Bible says that he had purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. He had already made up his mind he wasn't going to. When Later on, under another king, uh, when the decree was signed that they weren't to pray to anybody but the king himself, the Bible says that Daniel went to his window and he opened it up and prayed three times a day. And then he says, as he did aforetime. Daniel had long ago settled the issue. That when this, when this moment comes, if there's ever a choice to make, the decision is, I'm going to do what's right. 
And can I tell you, there's a lot to be said for you and I wrestling our bodies and our wills into subjection and say, I'm going to purpose now that when that temptation comes and the choice comes, no decision to make. I'm going to do what's right. I don't want to wait till the decision, till the temptation comes to try to decide. It makes it so much harder to make the right choice if we wait. Uh, number three, uh, let's turn to Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. We actually are going to get two out of this one verse, but we're going to turn to some other passages as well. So I'm going to give you two points, and then we're going to go back and look at one of them a little bit further. Second Peter chapter number two. We're going to begin reading in verse number 4, if you will. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them, uh, with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those uh, that after would live or should live ungodly. Notice, I want you to notice very close attention to verse number seven. And delivered. What's the next word here? Just Lot. Do you know that Lot was a just man? He was a man that prior to the time of Sodom and Gomorrah in his life, I truly believe he had a heart for God and lived for the Lord. The Bible calls him here a just man. But notice what it says here, that uh, he delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Here again, you could tie in the idea of keeping good company and the danger of wrong companions. But more importantly, I want you to see what verse 8 says, for that righteous man, do we see that description of him? That righteous man. So it can happen to any one of us. If it can happen to Lot, it can happen to you. And if it can happen to Lot, it can happen to me. Notice what it says here. For that righteous man dwelling among them, there's that keeping your companions again. But I want you to notice the next two things that are said here. In what? Seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Number three, I believe it is on our list. Guard what you allow yourself to see. Guard what you allow yourself to see. If you know that going someplace in the city, or you know that going someplace on your computer is going to bring something up before your eyes that you don't need to be looking at, don't intentionally go there. Now, I understand the world we live in today, sometimes it happens without our understanding or knowing that it's getting ready to happen and something will be before our eyes that we don't need to be looking at. And I would say this, uh, what happens in that next split second oftentimes determines whether or not you succumb to the temptation of it or not. Keep in mind that Lot, he was a just man. The Bible calls him a righteous man. The Bible says that he vexed his righteous soul. He vexed it. Because of what he was allowing himself to see from day to day. He also says, look down at verse number 8, For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, 
vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Can I tell you, secondly, you need to be careful what you hear. Be careful what you hear. You know the human mind is an amazing creation of God. It has been absolutely proven without any doubt that repetition is the key to learning. Did you all know that? The repetition is the key to learning. In fact, they found that the key to learning is repetition. We can say that over and over again, and I promise you by the end of the week, you'll probably say, the only thing I remember from Sunday's messages at all was that pastor said repetition was the key to learning. And the reason I'm saying that is this. You, you get around the wrong things that you hear, even if you disagree with them enough to where you hear them over and over and over and over again, even if you know better, even if initially there's a pricking of the Holy Spirit on your conscience, there comes a moment when you continue to put yourself in that place that repetitively what you see and or what you hear will eventually begin to influence your heart. What was the first thing we were supposed to be careful of? Our second thing we were supposed to be careful of? We were to keep our heart with all diligence. Therefore, I've got, to, I've got to determine I'm going to protect what goes in this eye gate. And if it can be helped, it's not going in there. I've got to protect what's going in the ear gate. And that doesn't just mean rock music and bad, uh, uh, you know, vulgar talk. I'm talking about even people that will talk about doctrinal error. In scriptures, will cause your heart to, to lose heart and to lose faith. We've got to understand that these things will keep us from sin. They will help protect us. If Lot had kept his eyes protected and his ears protected, if he had kept the companions that he hung around protected, he would have never found himself in the condition he found himself in months later. It would have never happened. These things will help keep us from sin. Number whatever next one we're on. Psalm 119, most of you can quote this one in verse number 9. Psalm 119 in verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I... You might remember? Thy word have I what? hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. There are a number of things in these passages that I can give you. First of all, uh, we need to take heed to the Word of God. Not just hear it, not just read it, but take heed to. That means to take what we've learned and put it into action, put it into practice in our lives. To take heed to it. We need to take heed to the Bible, uh, first of all. And then secondly, he says... Uh, that by taking heed thereto according to thy word, with my whole heart have I sought thee. And I would say it this way. I was, I was helping a fellow a number of years ago with an issue he had in his life that he was having a battle with, and he couldn't seem to get victory in it. And I didn't know what to tell him what to do. And I came across this, and I thought, you know, that, that's the answer. To seek for, for God's truth with his whole heart. And I, and I worded it this way. To saturate your life with the truth of God's Word. To saturate your life. This isn't a garden where we're selectively putting seeds of God's Word in places of our lives. 
This is more like an ocean that we plunge ourselves into and become fully immersed in. This book needs to consume us. It needs to permeate. It needs to saturate every aspect of our life. And this will keep us from sin. How do we do this? Well, there's several things the Bible teaches that we can do with regards to God's Word to help us to, with our whole heart, search for these things. He says, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I've written down four different things specifically. There may be some more. One, we need to read God's Word. (laughs) You say, Pastor, that should go without saying. Everybody ought to read God's Word. But it's amazing how many people do not. The only time they ever read it is at church. We need to read God's Word. Number two, we need to study God's Word. We need to study it. Number three, here's one we don't say very often, but it is taught in God's Word. We need to meditate on it. That means when we're not reading it and we're not studying it, we need to be thinking about it. We need to be mulling it over. We need to be... We need to be trying to tie application of that truth to our life. As we come to the truth, the meditation allows us to make application. To say, okay, I want to take this truth and I see an area of my life that this will help. We begin to meditate and think on these things. And then lastly, we need to memorize. Memorize. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it. And the Bible says that this will keep us from sin. It'll help us. If sin doesn't reign in our mortal bodies anymore, if God makes a way of escape, what are some of the ways that He gives us to, to escape these things? These are the ways. Be careful of the company we keep. Keep our heart and our body in subjection. Keep our heart with all diligence. Guard what we see. Guard what we hear. Read, study, meditate, and memorize God's Word. Next one, whatever number we're on now. I've lost track of numbers here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And verse number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 14. Oops, I got the wrong one. I think it's 2 Corinthians. Oh, no, I turned to 2 Corinthians. No, it's 1 Corinthians. You're right. I was right. I just thought I was wrong. I was like the guy who said, the only time I ever remember being wrong was the time I thought I was wrong. I was really right. No, I'm just kidding. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And if I get my Bible in the right place, we'll see it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And that's still not the right verse. I have the wrong one. Well, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 then. Because I know that one's right. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And for some reason I wrote that one down wrong. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 22. The Bible says this, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And again, here we find that initial one we gave you about keeping good company is found again in this verse, isn't it? It's amazing how many times this particular one Paul emphasizes over and over and over again. But the one I want you to get from verse number 22 is this, that we need to flee from sin. Flee from sin. Now, now bear with me for a moment. 
And I know we're tired. We've just had a long lunch and it's warm. I understand that. But bear with me for a minute and stay with me on this one. The Bible over uh, several, t- several times and several places talk about the fact that we should flee. Uh, we should, we should not, not have anything to do with this. Keep the idea of what fleeing is. When, 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 uh, when uh, two armies were fighting and uh, one began to overtake the other, the other, the one that was losing would flee from the one that was winning. And you know why they would flee? Because their heart was what? It was fearful, wasn't it? It's afraid. Can I tell you this? That's the way we need to be towards sin. We don't flirt with sin. We don't play with sin. We need to be afraid of sin. It needs to be something that we flee from. That, that we say, boy, I, I don't want to be anywhere near it. I, how many of you like snakes? Any of you like snakes? Anybody here that's, that's dumb, I mean, that, that loves snakes? Or, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hate them. I can't stand snakes. And, and I've had people that, that said, Brother Greg, there's some good ones out there. And I used to say the only good snake is a dead snake. But somebody corrected me on that one time and said that even a dead snake can make you hurt yourself. And, and I thought, you know, he's right about that. I do not like snakes. Now, when I was pastoring, or youth pastor, I had a young guy in our youth group that loved snakes. The guy was, he was crazy. He was out of his mind, I think. And uh, he would carry him. Sometimes he'd even bring him to youth activities and pull him out of his car. He had a snake wrapped around his arm or around his, uh, draped over his neck or something. And I thought, I thought, man, this kid is crazy. And he would say, well, Brother Greg, it's a good one. Here, just hold him for a minute. I was like, no, I don't, I don't need to hold him. I have no desire to hold him. You say, well, you're a chicken. You're right. I don't mind saying that. I am afraid of snakes. And I don't, I'm not embarrassed about it. Can I tell you this? We've got to quit being embarrassed about being afraid of sin. There are people that say, well, I, 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 you know, I, can, I can handle that. No, you can't. Flee it. When Joseph was enticed by Potiphar's wife, he didn't say, I can handle this and I'll take care of it. He left his coat and he fled. Why? Because he was scared to death. Can I tell you this? We need to have a a holy and a righteous fear of sin in our lives. We need to learn to flee it. And I think one of the big problems that we have today is that sin looks too pleasant to us, it looks too appealing to us, and it looks too harmless to us. Can I tell you this? When we recognize that sin sent our Savior to Calvary, we'll realize how dangerous sin is. When we realize that even after we're saved, sin can still destroy even a Christian's life, we'll begin to realize how dangerous sin is. And I want to have no part of it. We need to learn to be scared of it and have a holy and a healthy fear of sin. So much so that Paul tells Timothy here in verse number 22, flee it. Don't flirt with it. Don't, don't, don't think too little of it. Don't think that it is innocent or that it's, it's just some small thing that won't really grab a hold of you. Somebody said years ago that sin will cost you, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. Can I tell you this? It has a way of getting hold of us, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter number 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we are, so, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so what? Easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We need to learn in our Christian lives to fear sin. Don't, don't play with it. 
Don't flirt with it. Don't dawdle with it. Don't poke it with a stick. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you one last illustration of nature. In Florida, we have what are called fire ants. Brother Rick, you guys are probably familiar with fire ants, aren't you? When I was a kid, there was no such thing. We had red ants and black ants, and even the red ants would bite you, but they didn't hurt you that bad. But as I got older, we got fire ants in Florida. And they build these mounds, and there's only a few of them on the surface usually if they're left undisturbed. But the second you stick a stick in them, they go crazy. They go every, they swarm everywhere. And I'll tell you, there are times that you'll be standing in the yard talking with a neighbor, and you'll be standing there, and they, these, these ants, what they do is they wait. They don't, they don't bite you right away. They wait until there's about 5,000 of them on your leg. And then they send out a signal. This, they actually do. They send out a pheromone that, that tells them to all bite at about the same time. And they all start biting at roughly the same time. That's the way they attack. Can I tell you, that's often the way sin is in our life. It, it starts to get a hold of us and come on us without us even realizing. We don't even realize that, that it's all over us until the danger is already done. We need to learn to fear it. We need to learn to fear it and to flee from it whenever it pokes its ugly head up. If we could ever get this kind of mindset towards sin, I think it would help us a lot, a lot with avoiding it. To be fearful of it. Number uh, whatever we're on. James chapter 4. We're almost done. Only 25 more points to go. I'm just kidding. Not quite that many. James chapter number 4. And verse number 7. James writes this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. This is a two-part step. What, what happens in our natural state before we're saved is that we are submitted, we're yielded, we are under the reign of sin and bondage to sin. And we yield ourselves to it. We're members of it, Romans chapter 6. And we tend to flee or ignore or rebel against God. But when we get saved, those roles are reversed. God creates something new inside of us where now we are pursuing after God. And, and uh, James uses this phrase, that we're submitted to Him. In other words, we've taken our will and we said, I don't want my will anymore. Lord, I want Your will. The psalmist said it best, I think. He said, oh, that my ways were Thy ways, O Lord. In other words, I want to take the things that I desire and I want them not to be brought under Yours, but I want them to be replaced by Yours. I want your will to be that which I desire. And this is a two-part. To come to a place where we yield our will to Him and say, Lord, I don't want my will done at all. I don't even really want my will to be brought into conformity with your will. I want my will to be crucified. And I want your will to take its place. And then secondly, when that happens, <laughs> you cannot serve two masters. You're going to flee the other. You're going, to, you're going to resist Him. There's not going to be the tendency to follow after the things of the Lord when God's will takes the place of ours. That's an easy one to know. It's a difficult one to live. And it's going to start with even small things in our life. Saying, Lord, I don't want my will in this matter. I want Yours. And building that, that submission to the will of God in our lives. 
very, very important that we do this, and, and James speaks of it here, that we're to submit ourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and when we do so, the Bible says he'll flee from us. All right? Next one, uh, Galatians chapter, uh, or I'm sorry, John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. And I'm leaving a few verses out here just for sake of time. John chapter number 14. Very simple verse, verse number 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Can I tell you this? That the more we love God, the more we will have a desire to keep His commandments. So I would say this, to avoid sin, deepen your love for the Lord. Make that a purpose of your life. Strive to love Him more today than you did yesterday. And when you get to tomorrow, strive to love Him more tomorrow than you did today. And the idea being that the deeper we get our love for the Lord, the more we will long to have His will and His way in our life, and the less we will have the desire for sin and our will to be a part of it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And a principle is shown, not only here, but throughout Scripture, that we are to make the love of God in our lives a priority. Because it will be a motivating factor in keeping us from sin. It's very hard to love somebody with all your heart and then to turn around and purposefully do something that you know is going to hurt them. That's true in human lives. That's true in our relationship with God. Therefore, the more we deepen our love for Him, the less prone we are and the less apt we are to sin in our lives. The last one we're going to do is Hebrews chapter number 13. Again, there's, there's probably as many more still in Scripture that I've not given you today, but I'm trying to, to just give us a kickstart and a jump into this thing of finding some practical helps from Scripture that will help us to avoid sin or to conquer sin or to have victory over sin in our lives. Hebrews chapter number 13, and let's look in verse number 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way. He said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. The last one I'm going to give you is practice spiritual contentment. Practice spiritual contentment. What do I mean by that? You realize that every temptation is a desire for us to have something that we do not currently have? It may be an experience. It may be a feeling. It may be um, a material gain. It's always a covetous type of a decision that we make. If we can ever learn to be content in our spiritual life, I'm not talking about our growth in the spiritual life. I think we ought to always be hungering and thirsting over that. But content with the things that God chooses to put into our lives and say, that's enough for me. I don't need more. I don't need the things this world has to offer. I am content with what God has chosen to place in my life. And godliness with contentment is great gain. I would say that number, uh, whatever we're on, number 10 or 11, whatever number we're on, um, that we need to learn practice spiritual contentment. Spiritual contentment. It's one thing for us to know 
from Scripture that we have been delivered from sin, the reign of sin in our lives, that God has made a way of escape for us. But if we don't know the ways that God has made, if we don't know these practical helps from Scripture, we're more than likely still not going to take that way of escape because we just don't know it. Uh, I hope this will help some of us. I really do. I know as I study these things and learn and put more of them on my list, as I go through studying these things, every time I find one, it's more of a help to me. And it's not, I'm not perfect. It's not one of those things that you're going to get to a place where you're suddenly no longer with, with any sin at all. But it'll help. And it'll cause that diligence to live holy and godly and pure as a temple of God. It will cause that to be much easier if we have some methods of Scripture that help us accomplish that. And so I hope that will be a help to you. All right? Let's stand together we'll be dismissed. Father, I pray that you would help us as we leave here today to take with us the messages, the helps from your Word, the guidance and direction that you give. And, Father, may we hold to these things. I pray that you would help us.